Hi, everybody. Welcome to today's webinar. It's hosted by Kinexus. I'm Mark Raven, a senior advisor with Kinexus. I'm really excited that we are joined today uh, by someone um, that we've known for uh, for a number of years now. And she is Stephanie Hill. She's the owner of Lightbulb Moment Consulting. And the topic today, I think, has applicability to uh, a wide range of industries. Transitioning lean from manufacturing um, to the office. So uh, welcome and thank you to everybody who has joined us today. So with that, let me tell you a little bit about our presenter, Stephanie Hill. She is, again, the owner of Lightbulb Moment Consulting based in Des Moines, Iowa. Stumbled over that, sorry. Um, she's in Des Moines. She has over 20 years of experience applying quality and continuous improvement in the manufacturing, retail, insurance, and healthcare industries. So she's really uh, well-equipped to share about today's topic with us. She has certifications in strategic HR leadership and scaled agile. She has a master black belt in Lean Six Sigma, a master's degree in public health, and a bachelor's degree in chemistry. Stephanie's focus is on helping small businesses and nonprofits improve their effectiveness and efficiency through the combination of people, processes, and performance. And again, one last mention of it um, for now, go to menti.com and enter the code 61591357. So with that, Stephanie, thanks again, and I'll turn it over to you. All right. Thanks, Mark. Um, yeah. So just to give a little bit of a background about why I wanted to have this uh, topic, talk about this, um, I have spent 20 years in uh, continuous improvement. And of that, 50% of that has been through manufacturing, and the other 50% has been through um, like more of an office environment or a transactional environment. And I'm going to use those terms pretty interchangeably, uh, office and transaction. And when I, so I started in manufacturing, when I tried to make the transition, I really thought that I could do a drag and drop approach. So take all of the, the Lean Six Sigma tools that I learned in manufacturing and applications, and I could just pick that up and drop it into the office setting and have people run with it, just like they did in manufacturing. Um, and as you might imagine, I had quite a few fumbles along the way uh, that, that didn't really work like I had thought it would. So um, I, I tried to figure out, you know, where should I really be focusing and where are these differences really taking place? Um, I ended up boiling it down to three key differences. And so um, I thought it would be helpful to share that with all of you, um, the, the differences that I discovered, and then the approaches that I took in order to adapt to make sure that I could be successful in those environments. Okay, so for the outline today, um, we're going to talk about the objectives. We'll spend a little time um, learning about you, so your location and your role. I'll, I'll go through those three key differences that I just mentioned, and then I'll return to those and talk about the adjusted approaches. Um, we'll then finish with some takeaways and Q&A. All right, so for the objectives, um, you're going to be able to identify three key differences to overcome when making the transition from lean or continuous improvement in manufacturing as you move to the office. Um, you'll also be receiving tools and techniques that you can apply in order to overcome the key differences and increase your confidence to apply lean to new environments and applications. Okay, but first we're gonna start with you. So um, in your mentee, so hopefully all of you have been able to get that open, um, I'm going to ask that you put in 
what state or country you live in. Oh, everybody's already jumping on this. Oh, how exciting. That's great. And again, I've put the link and the code in the chat for anybody who needs to get that. Maybe I should have entered something. I need to get Iowa on that screen. Somebody is from Hello, which I love. <laughs> Hello is a very friendly place, I've found. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, definitely. And I like tomorrow as well. That's a cool one. Oh, hey, Iowa's on the screen. Wonderful. <laughs> All right. So... I don't know if that'll continue. I think it probably will until we go to the next slide. Um, but it looks like a number of you are in much better weather than, well, except Canada's up there too, right? Um, but we've got California and Texas and some high ones. Uh, so probably much better weather than we're having having in Iowa. Although I should not complain because it's been a much milder winter than we've had in the past. All right, I'm gonna jump back to uh, the presentation. So the next thing I'm going to have you do in Menti is to indicate what area you work. Um, there, there's, I think, eight different options here. Um, you can choose more than one when you do this. And so um, if you feel like, you know, you identify as working in two different locations, maybe um, you can put that in and that's completely fine. So let's advance this one. I really like how this works in <laughs> Menti. This is really neat. It's really interesting to see. Mm -hmm. Oh, I got to remember to set a timer. Just so you know, I give, I'm trying to give you 30 seconds for each of these. So, And for those listening to the podcast recording, uh, manufacturing, healthcare, service are the top three that have come up so far. What's interesting is that other is quite high as well. So I'm wondering what we probably missed there. Well, and I think you're probably pretty well networked with the healthcare world. Um, so that would draw quite a bit. All right. So manufacturing, healthcare, and service um, looks like the highest ones for now. Okay, so I'm going to jump back over. All right. Yeah, I wish I wish I could talk to each one of you. Um, you know, we don't have that option to be that interactive just to find out. Have you always been in that field? Um, are you are you making a transition to another field? Um, so that would be good to know, too. But alas, we're going to go forward this way. All right. So um, key differences between uh, lean in manufacturing and the office. Uh, so here we go. Oopsie. Before I get started, I, I want to do a disclaimer, um, which I like to have at the beginning. So I always think about the fact that we want to be sure to get the, the voice of the customer before we get started with any improvement. So in this presentation, I'm going to be generalizing, um, talking about manufacturing and office uh, environments. But I also know that each setting, culture, and individual is unique. So regardless of what you hear today, I also encourage you to take the time to learn about the people that you're going to be working with and the culture. So that's my disclaimer. All right. So here's the big reveal. Um, the three key differences that I have found are association to work, 
frequency of work units and significance of waste. All right, so the first one is the association to work. And this is a big one. Um, it's essentially how closely people feel tied to the work they do on a daily basis. Um, if you think about manufacturing, I think about I think about hands. Like I think about work units moving across people's hands. It's very tangible. Um, you can usually you know touch and feel what you're moving, and so um, so there's a distinct difference between the person and the item. Change is frequent. You know, uh, experimenting is very very common. So you know people might change shifts. They might change the work that they're producing. Um, you know, so they might do a lot of different changes in there. So it becomes easier to separate the person, their identity from the work that they're doing. Um, so again, there are exceptions. I, I know if people are more uh, maybe skilled laborers or if they're uh, leadership within manufacturing, sometimes there is a stronger association to work. Um, but in general, that's kind of how we're gonna look at it here. When we're in the office setting, the work might not be very tangible. So there's a lot of you know uh, creative thinking that might be going on. There could be a lot of relationship building. Um, and so a lot of that is not super tangible. And especially when we're moving more from a paper environment to an electronic environment, um, there is, there's, it's almost like there's a stronger association to the work. Um, the person could have spent years studying or practicing the field in which they're working. And so change is probably infrequent for them or change feels like their personal responsibility or their leader's responsibility to have them make a change. So um, their, their association is strong and their um, reaction to change could be a lot different from someone in a manufacturing setting. Okay, so just to kind of um, give a, a real example, Let's imagine that you have just made a mistake while you were completing a mortgage form. Okay, so that's your job. You're completing a mortgage form. It has cost a potential buyer their dream home. Your manager comes to you and says, why did this happen? Okay, so you got that scenario. Your manager's come to you, wants to know why this happened. When you are in that seat, what can you just put into Menti? I'm going to put that back over here. Um, some words or a word that describes how you would feel in that setting. <clears throat> Lousy, stressed, guilty, shame, disappointment, frustrated. Oh, terrible. All the blames. System fail. Okay, just a couple more seconds here. Regretful. Yeah. Okay, so a lot of not super pleasant <laughs> words, I would say, to sum that up. All right, so let's switch gears a little bit. Then we have a situation where a customer called into customer experience and informed the representative that they cut themselves on a defective product. So the representative replaces the product and paid $2,000 in medical bills. So they tried to take care of them. In the meantime, the shift supervisor gathered the crew that assembled the product that day and asked, why did this happen? What would the approach be that the team would take? All right, so 
<laughs> when you think about that, um, my questions were a little bit different, right? So I, in the first case, I was asking about um, why or like what the feelings would be that you would have. And in the second case, I asked about the approach that you would take. And the reason I do that is, is I mean, there was a reason, right? So when we're in the office setting, we naturally look at the individual. Um, we are very used to the concept of individual accountability. And individual accountability is a good thing when it comes to decision-making. Um, that, that's a much more, <laughs> I would say, efficient decision-making option there. But it can be difficult to get an objective response from someone when we ask the question, why? Why feels very personal when there's more of an individual accountability there. Now, in manufacturing, I asked about the approach. Because in that setting, we view a defect happening, typically, as collective ownership, right? So there's crews. Like I said, that they got the crew together, not a single person. Um, and we would naturally question the process, the tools, and not necessarily the people, right? We've, we've kind of learned over time that there are other elements involved in a defect happening versus the person, the individual. Okay, so the second difference that we find when we go from uh, lean in manufacturing to lean in the office is frequency of work units. Um, so when we look at manufacturing, um, we typically see a unit of work moving through a process in a short period of time. So there's a, there's a fast cycle time. Um, in the office, on the other hand, it can take uh, weeks to a month often for a process to fully be completed. So it has a longer cycle time. There's exceptions. So in manufacturing, um, I've been to a place where they build airplanes and their cycle time is very long. Um, and then the flip side, in the office, if you have like a customer experience center, um, they're taking calls, you know, every minute. And so they're looking at things in, in a matter of seconds or minutes. Um, but overall, we're going to just kind of generalize and say office has a longer cycle time than manufacturing on average. Okay, so that has um, some impacts when we're looking there. Um, three, three main areas that I've noticed. So it impacts our data collection, how we go to the Gemba, and the momentum of our progress. So for data collection, when we're working with longer cycle times, or if the work's happening like infrequently or unpre um, unpredictably, it makes it tough to get that data. And as we know, we need the data for prioritizing our efforts. So, you know, when we can take that data and quantify it and then put dollars to it, that helps us to get buy-in and to get, you know, our work moved to the top of the list if it's very important. Um, it gives us some insight so we can do some statistical analysis to find out more about the problem that we're facing. And it also demonstrates whether uh, we've seen an improvement. So if we can get that baseline data and then we collect data at the end of our improvement, we can see if we truly made a difference. Um, and then it helps us to know going forward if our improvement efforts are worthwhile, if we need to change them, how we need to structure them. So the data is really important. Um, and I know I'm preaching to the choir. I think everybody here is probably on the on the data boat with me. Uh, so we're going to move to going to the Gemba. And going to the Gemba, um, it just is a recap. It means that it's going. You're going to the place of work to see how value is created. And so when work is created like at a slower cadence or if it's less predictable, it can be difficult to watch the process, especially as a whole team going to watch a process. 
Um, and the third one is the momentum of progress. So if a if a project in the office takes several months to fully implement, then that can really impact people's motivation to finish. So the participants or leaders can be tempted to shift their focus on other issues that might come up, um, and they may be trying to you know compete for the resources there. And then once the um, once the effort is Im fully implemented, this, the group might want to quickly shift to the next thing on their plate rather than take the time to reflect and go back and learn from the implementation that they did. So if you if you contrast that with what happens in manufacturing, um, maybe you'll have like a week long Kaizen event in manufacturing. And in that time, the implementation takes place. Um, you know, there could be a presentation for the, the leadership team to get buy-in. And so we've already gotten that change going. Um, and then they have a time where they reflect all within that same week. And so it's a really different, uh, different environment than you would see in the office setting. Okay. So I want to talk about going to the Gemba a little bit further, because um, when we when we go to the Gemba, like I said, we can look and we can assess value, we can assess waste, but we also get a better understanding of the people involved who do the work. And so if we don't get this real world experience and interaction, then our suggested improvements can completely miss the mark. And we could lack buy-in from the people who are doing the work. So um, I just wanted to get a poll from the group here and see during COVID, what, what are you guys doing in order to learn about what people are doing in their work? Are you doing it in person still, leveraging virtual tools? Are you totally skipping it right now? Um, or did you never do it in the first place? So I'm going to give you a moment to um, enter that into Menti and let's see what you come up with. Okay, so it looks like virtual tools is uh, top right now, uh, followed by in-person and then skipping and a couple people never did it in the first place. Um, so we're gonna come back to this, but yeah, virtual tools is a really effective way. And I'm, and I'm really grateful that we have so many tools out here right now to, to help us with this um, because this translates well, both for the manufacturing team right now, but also in the office. Okay, so I'm gonna switch over to the third difference which is significance of waste. And before we dive too deep into this, I wanna do a quick waste refresher. So I know this is a commonly accepted definition for waste, um, but I wanted to give props to our um, awesome host today, Kinexis, um, Mark with Kinexis. And waste is defined as any activity that doesn't add value for the customer. So in our lean framework, it's something that can be considered as a value-adding step if the customer is willing to pay for it, transforms the product being produced, and if it's done properly the first time. So there's commonly um, eight ways that people refer to, and I just wanted to give you guys a little quiz, because I know we have a lot of continuous improvement folks out in the audience, and just have you write one waste that you uh, know of into your mentee. Okay, let's see what you got. All right, looks like everybody knows their stuff. So we've got inventory looks like the one that was, was repeated the most followed by maybe defects or over-processing. 
All right, so let's see if we missed any. We've got waiting, overproduction, overprocessing, defects, transportation, inventory, motion, and employee potential unrealized. And I, I always tell a lumberjack story um, that I'm not going to go into right now, but if anybody wants to contact me, I'd be happy to share it. Uh, and that's why I call it wood time. So the last, um, the last waste on here, E, uh, that one, I mean, in the past, it used to be seven wastes. And so the employee potential and realized that was one that was added a few years back. I don't know when it was added. I could probably look that up. But um, so if you're familiar with seven wastes, it changed to eight wastes a few years ago. All right. So in manufacturing, you, also, you often hear that inventory is, is one of the key wastes, is one of the big ones, and that's because it drives a lot of the other wastes. Um, and it wasn't a big surprise that that was the largest word that I saw when we, when we asked that question for everybody. Um, <clears throat> but there's also considerations in the office that you really want to look at because these are things that really do drive waste, and they're pretty common in, in uh, different office settings. So the first one is miscommunication um, that often occurs during handoffs. So missing information or just a lack of information, something gets missed there. Um, and I think when I'm when I'm teaching this, I have people play the telephone game. And then at the end of it, if you've never played that game, what happens is that at the beginning of it, um, you whisper a message to somebody. They continue to whisper it to the next person and so forth. And the person at the end has, I've never seen them get the right answer. They always have a different message that they share with the team. So there's, there's a definite um, loss there when handoffs are taking place. The next one is work not balanced, uh, which essentially is meaning that somebody might have a lot of work and somebody else might not have very much work at all. The third one is unclear roles and responsibilities. And this can drive duplication of work, and it can also cause struggles with decision-making. Fourth is not optimizing manual versus electronic uh, processes. And I know that the trend is always automate. You know, automate, put, make things electronic. Uh, the reality is if we automate bad processes and we don't really simplify or streamline in advance, then we're costing our companies a lot of money. So we want to make sure that we're, we're optimizing what we do first and foremost and taking the simpler approach whenever we can. The fifth is excessive inspections and approvals, especially if they are not in alignment with the level of risk, because these um, inspections and approvals can take a lot of time. And so it, it just adds a lot more time to the customer getting what they need. Then number six, we have unread documents and emails. I was in a company where uh, in the first month, I received 1,500 emails that were unnecessary. So emails that I wasn't going to be reading at all. And when I figured out everybody else who was receiving those same um, emails, that came out to be about $40,000 for the company that they were losing because people were spending time just trying to delete or get rid of those emails in some way. Um, Mark, glad to have you back. <laughs> A little brief power and internet blip, but I'm glad that didn't interrupt your presentation. Oh, no worries. <laughs> All right, so I'm going to move to number seven, um, work done in series versus parallel. Uh, and this can't always be done, but if we have our work in parallel, um, that can often result in faster um, outcomes for the customer. 
then work too complicated or too simple. Uh, so this isn't necessarily the exact same thing, um, but if you look on the right for that image of the inverted U theory, um, this is really old, so it's from 1908, but it still applies today. And it's saying that there are there's essentially a sweet spot for people performing at their best. And so when we talk about things being too simple or too complicated, um, we don't want to drive you know either boredom or people being really stressed out. Also, if it's too complicated, um, then they can spend a lot of time you know having to reach out to their own supervisor or um, something along those lines. And then the last one, performing all work within the process probably requires a little bit of explanation. Um, so I think about, I have mostly examples, but when I call into a company because, you know, maybe I need to change my address, I've had situations where I thought it was going to be five minutes and it was at least 20 minutes because the person on the other end of the phone says, okay, well, let me pull up my system. And then I wait. And then she says, okay, well, tell me your address. And I tell her one time. And she says, okay, let me put it into the system. And then I wait. And it's just, let me get open another system because we've got to put it in two places. And so there's all this stuff happening. And I'm like, well, didn't you already write down my address? And she said, yeah. So, well, can I just get, get off the phone now? She said, no, we're required to keep you on the phone until we're completely done with the whole entire thing. And so, like, could you just put some of the outside of what I'm actually seeing? Um, and then another situation was uh, I worked at a company where they were doing quarterly it was a publicly traded um, company. So they did quarterly reports. Um, and every time they had to do this, people were staying at the office until 11 at night. Um, people even spent the night at the office. And so the big win that we had was to carve out what things we could possibly push before this crunch time happened. And so we pulled it out of that critical process time and moved it outside. Um, in manufacturing, it's really common. So they call it single minute exchange of dyes or SMED uh, for them to kind of assess what needs to be absolutely happening at a certain time. So taking that in the office is a good, good consideration. All right, so I gave you a lot of things to think about. Um, when I, before when I was talking about inventory and manufacturing, when I think about this for the office, I think it's really around three key areas that drive a lot of issues within an office setting. So one being communication, um, one being alignment, and another one being decision-making. So with poor communication, <clears throat> I don't know if, if anybody in the group plays volleyball or watches volleyball games, um, but there's a common practice of yelling, got it. So the ball comes over to your side of the court and somebody yells, got it, and other people back off and that one person gets it. And it's almost like what's necessary from a communica communication standpoint in the office. It's kind of like volleyball. If two people go to get the ball and they don't know who's supposed to get it, they could collide. It could be catastrophic. The ball falls, um, all of that. Or they could completely miss the ball altogether. So in the office, you might duplicate work then, or you might miss the work altogether and not do the activities necessary. Um, there's poor communication. Your customer needs might be overlooked. Um, or if there's not open and honest communication by employees or the workforce, you could have resentment um, and it can actually drive to greater turnover. So that's a big one. Alignment. So this would be the case. So where you have members of the organization not moving in the same direction. So inefficient and effective, kind of how they're moving um, in each area. And this can happen with a lack of vertical alignment or lack of horizontal alignment. 
So for vertical, um, if the staff is not clear about the, you know, the, the mission, vision, and values of the company, um, the management system, maybe the high-level measures, what's important for the company. And that's visible, visible through how people behave and the goals that they have set for themselves. And then horizontally, um, we could have staff that's not working together, um, so they may not have synergy to achieve goals. And you might see that as people working in silos or competing for resources. And then when it comes to decision-making, so poor decision-making can be related to, you know, if they've um, if you look at somebody's past experience, maybe the company has demonstrated that they, they harshly and publicly punish a wrong decision. If that's the case, then people are not going to be really keen on setting a decision and having that recorded. Um, if we don't have laid out roles and responsibilities that also include decision-making authority, that also can cause some you know, issues with, kind of like I said, with the communication, with either the decision-making being happening with too many people or not happening at all. And then with um, the culture in general, from a hierarchy standpoint, if the culture really values um, hierarchy, then the top level or top levels might be making all the decisions in the company. So that's really inefficient because people have to constantly throw things up, wait, that sounds right. They have to throw it up to the people that are up at the top and wait for them to make a decision. And then it also leaves the frontline or the mid-level staff um, feeling you know, that they have insufficient authority and it adds delays and stunts the growth of the workforce. So those three are really key, I think, when it comes to waste in the office. Okay, so let's talk about adjusted approaches for how we can handle each of these. All right, so first we're gonna talk about association to work. And in that we have pre-interviews, um, roles versus names and root cause approach. Okay, for pre-interviews, uh, depending on how much I know about an issue or the people involved, um, when we have an event or yeah, an improvement event that's going to take place, um, I spend some time initially uh, gauging the buy-in of the people. I want to um, learn their prior experience. So first I wanna find out the buy-in so that I know if they're willing to make changes. Um, and then I wanna learn about their experience because it's really important to validate that upfront, um, especially if you are new to the organization or new to that person. Um, it's important because that their past experience can kind of act as a barrier um, in terms of them going in with an open mind into the event. All right, and then we've got um, barriers, like, as I mentioned. So just documenting some of the barriers that people informally share with you um, prior to the event or project. And then lastly, building a relationship and building trust before people enter the room, um, whether that's virtually or in person. So why do you want to do that? Um, because talking about, a, talking about your process or your work in front of other people is always intimidating and it always creates some, some type of vulnerability. Um, you're putting yourself out there um, and the work that you do, especially if you're associated to it, that really feels like you're opening yourself up to other people criticizing it and deciding if it's, if it's worthwhile or not. All right, so let's see. Oh, and then the other thing I wanted to say was that um, my my job as a facilitator is to 
make sure that people feel emotionally safe and open and honest when they are in the room. Okay, so let's see. All right, so I'm gonna to move to roles versus names. When we are doing a mapping session, um, we wanna we want to use roles instead of people's names. And so why is that? Um, when changes are made, participant, participants can dissociate from the work better if we're not putting their name up on the board, right? So, so basically if we're saying like, this is um, ineffective or ineffic inefficient, people are more likely to be okay with that if it doesn't have their name right next to it. And I know it seems silly um, and it seems minor, but but it's real. I mean, that's really how people kind of feel about that. Um, and they're more, more likely to volunteer changing their own process or other people's processes if it doesn't have names as well. Uh, the last reason for that is that if people, so if there's a team of people who are doing similar work and maybe only one person can be in the um, event at, at the time, then that allows everyone else uh, who's not in the event to you know, know that that represents their work as well. It's not just about that one person's work, it's about theirs too. And if changes are made, it really, it really means that everybody's work is being changed. Okay, and the last one uh, for this category is about uh, root cause approach. So thinking beyond the five whys. Um, I know that manufacturing, we use, we use a five why approach and you know, pretty commonly when we talk about root cause. I found that approach to be less effective in an office setting uh, for a couple of reasons. So first of all, the complexity of office problems. Um, if you asked like five different people in what, why something happened, you probably get five different answers. And those five answers might be completely true. So um, I, I feel like in the office setting, things tend to be more of a blend of issues rather than a linear path that provides a single discovery. So it sort of seems like the perfect storm that multiple things work together to create. The other thing is that um, why that question can prompt defensiveness. So the example that we talked about with the mortgage case with the person losing their home, um, that's a great example of the word why <laughs> feeling like a defensive word. All right. so. Instead, I just use a 6M approach with um, brainstorming. And so we get human, machine, mother nature, uh, measurement, and method and materials. And that tends to get um, more openness and creativity from each person. All right, so uh, frequency of work units. As I mentioned before, it impacts data going to the Gemba and sustaining momentum. And so with gathering data, um, First of all, I would say don't wait if you don't have the data you need and you know that anecdotally there's a problem from a customer standpoint or an employee standpoint that's significant. Um, just start taking action and build your data plan into that right away. Um, create your data plan, data collection plan. So that's kind of an example here of the fields that you might use for that. And use the um, virtual tools that you have. So it sounds like a lot of you are doing some virtual work. Um, and so using things like, you know, Menti, like we're using um, idea boards has some voting options. And so you can leverage some of those. All right, um, going to the Gemba. 
So despite the frequency and other challenges that you have, uh, I know we talked a little bit before about, or I guess you guys contributed, what you are doing for going to the Gamba. And so um, I'm just going to mix like the virtual in with what you could do in advance or during the event. Um, but it's when you go, when you're doing pre-work, you can have people on your team record themselves on video and, you know, be able to share that when you all get together. Um, you can have them notify the facilitator or whoever's doing the data collection um, beforehand. So when they know that the work is coming, they can contact you and have you show up to it since it might be a little bit unpredictable. Um, you can... Let's see what else I was going to think. The, so you can also have them do like tick sheets. I don't know if anybody has done that before, but I give them like tick sheets or time study tables. And so they can own it themselves if it becomes difficult to match up schedules when it's something that's that's unpredictable. And then um, they can also do some benchmarking or look at other organizations that do similar work if it becomes really hard to look at your own. Um, and, you know, you could, in the past, you could go to the facilities. Now there's a lot of videos that you could watch online as well. And then during the, the event itself, um, multiple people who do the process. So you could have multiple people come in and do the mapping. So you at least get the different perspectives. Um, you could have the team demonstrating through a test case. Um, or you could just have, you know, if they held on to a case that they want to do in front of people, they can also bring that to an event as well. And then sustaining momentum of the progress. So I talked before about how it can be difficult to keep it um, in, in focus when it can take a long time to implement. So as a facilitator, um, I find a couple approaches necessary. First, create a monitoring plan or a monitoring approach that involves the team, that's visual, um, shows the team how, how they're progressing on action items. Um, includes data to include whether the situation is improving or not, and it has actions ready for anything that goes off track. Then you also wanna get the team physically or virtually together and talk at least once a week initially. And then you can usually do it like once a month over time. And that kind of varies depending on the cadence of your implementation plan. When you talk, uh, find out the status of the work, review the data, talk about any barriers, Gauge the team's ongoing motivation for change because that can give you a sense of whether they're going to get steered off track for other things that might be pulling their, um, their resources during the period of time. So gauging that, um, ask whether or not the efforts are working out the way that they expected because that's something where there could be water cooler talk that you know, you're, they're having to meet all this, you know, all this once a month or once a week and yet they feel like, they expected something different. So you want to get that out in the open in these conversations. And then ensure that the business owner is prepared to tackle any concerns that the team might have. And then lastly, the expectation of imperfection. And that's why I put the PDCA um, model here on the right, because um, every CI effort follows that cyclic version of PDCA or wh whatever you use for your model. And so let the team and the stakeholders know from the beginning that Learning from the process and adapting to it does not mean failure. It is part of the change process. Okay, so adjusting to significance of waste. So we talked about a lot of waste falling into these three categories. And so um, some of the, the key ways to offset this, 
looking at the company's strategy and how it's deployed through the organization, um, both the cadence, whether it's, whether it's happening at all and the cadence of which it's happening. Um, next is partnering for open culture. So working with your human resources department, um, if you have an internal communications department, because you're looking at shifting people to having an open and honest culture. And so that's going to take more than just you. In most cases, it's going to take buy-in from other influential areas of the company. Um, and also be a visible model, a role model for vulnerability and learning from failure. A mix of improvements. So have improvements that are going to be um, happening at the individual team and organizational level. So you can look at both you know, vertical and horizontal alignment. And then documenting roles and responsibilities, including decision-making authority um, and getting that decision at the right level. And the last one is mapping to highlight office waste. So um, this, this mapping approach that I use, um, I learned through Steve Dickinson from PQS. And I just highlighted the, the colors um, to show you the different ways that we're kind of highlighting the office wastes here. So the yellow um, is an intersection or determination step. And when you look at like SOPs, a lot of times they, they are the happy path, I call them, um, where it assumes everything's going as planned. And in an office setting, the unplanned situations, which when you're working with customers, <laughs> that can happen quite a bit. And that can be a huge cause for defects. And so we want to map those in the process. Uh, the greens would be handoffs. And so, as I mentioned before, handoffs can be an opportunity for miscommunication or misinformation. And then the pinks are um, weights. And I always include a range of um, how long a weight might take. And usually that's kind of just people's best guess, but you can validate later. I still want the best guess in an event because um, at the end of the day, when you when you add up all of those weights, um, you find there's this aha by the team of how long a customer is sitting there waiting for a decision to be made, for example. Um, so this is a really, I think, a great way to highlight waste in an office setting. Okay, that is all I have to share for you today. So let's um, get your takeaways. And I think um, we're not gonna take time to have you write them down, but I think we'll just jump over to Menti. That will work okay. And have you just share um, a concept you learned, an action that you will take, or an idea that you will share? And then after we have this come in, we um, will have a couple of quick announcements and then we'll have time for Q&A. So I'll again encourage people if you have um, a question, please click on uh, Q&A in the Zoom uh, control bar, menu bar, toolbar, whatever you call that. It's <laughs> so great, we have responses coming in. going to the Gemba Moore office waste. Be careful about the five whys, creating defensiveness with that. Single piece flow work cell arrangement, 6M versus root cause. I don't, can I, I, I didn't set down? these to scroll. <laughs> we'll be able to go and see what all of those were later, okay. Stephanie. All right, sounds good. Well, yeah, some good things up there. So we'll jump back over and I am going to 
turn it over to Mark now. Um, he'll share my contact information towards the end too. So don't have to write any of that down. All yeah, right. that'll be on uh, the Q&A slide at the very end, um, Stephanie's contact information. So mm -hmm. um, again, thank you for that, Stephanie. Um, so let me get through the announcements quickly so we can have some good Q&A time. Um, so first off, we want to tell you about upcoming webinars. If you are a Kinexus customer, you can attend the next training team office hours tomorrow at one o'clock Eastern. Our next webinar that's going to be open to everybody is a panel discussion webinar, and it's titled Improving the COVID Vaccination Process Lessons from the Field. That's going to be on January 21st. Um, we've got 90 minutes scheduled. We're going to have um, four leaders from different healthcare organizations, executives, physician leaders, a process improvement leader. Um, so a really good cross-section to talk about what's happening right now to improve the process for actually giving vaccinations and um, what still needs to be done. So I think that's going to be really interesting. You can register for either or both of those right now at kinexus.com slash webinars. Um, also want to tell you about our continuous improvement webinar library. If this is your first time attending one of the Kinexus webinars, we've got, I think, at least 100 recorded webinars um, there. They are all free. So you can look for uh, the link to the on-demand library uh, in the, the right-hand sidebar of kinexus.com slash webinars. We have a blog at blog.kinexus.com. And we also have a podcast. And the audio from today's session will be um, in um, the podcast feed. Stephanie and I did a preview uh, discussion um, last week. So things like that um, can all be found in the Kinexus Continuous Improvement Podcast feed. And so with that, let's um, transition into um, Q&A. We've got uh, Stephanie's email and is that the right, do I have the right email there? Hopefully that's not a defect on my part. I know it's a, it, it is right. an email for you. <laughs> yes, that's right. Um, all right, so there's a question that uh, says, you know, first off, thanks Stephanie. Um, I'm interested in understanding a bit more about the waste of quote, performing all work within the process. Does that mean over-processing when you might have more steps than necessary or repeating steps? Um, thanks again, great work. Thank you. Um, I think it's the, the phrasing that I used is probably missing a word um, that would be like the critical process or maybe the, the customer facing process. Um, so it's I wouldn't call it over-processing because a lot of times the work that is being done is necessary and important. It's more of a factor of timing of when that work is taking place. So for instance, if there are, if there are templates, um, let's say, let's say people are uh, creating a report and they're starting from scratch every single time. So maybe something that can be done outside of the, the process can be to create a template and have that be uh, ready to go from day one. And so I think about it as like visually for me, maybe like setting up a surgical room. So this is probably <laughs> something that Mark has talked about with his team too. But you know, when, when a surgeon reaches their handout, they have the tool in their hand ready in, in the exact way that it needs to face, ready to do the surgery, right? So within that surgery, the critical time, that critical process is performing the surgery. The setup of the tools is not critical for that surgery to take place. So 
having, let's say, having that, uh, you know, attending person help with, with laying out the surgical tools, you know, you wouldn't want to sterilize them during that time. So all this stuff happens in advance of that critical process taking place. So that's kind of what I meant by that. Okay, thanks. Mm-hmm. Um, we had uh, one question that came in. Yes, the slides will be uh, made available. That'll be part of the email that you get tomorrow. Um, and then there was another question about revisiting the six M's, but I think, again, I would suggest I sent uh, a link to the slides mm-hmm. to the person who had that question and everybody else can uh, review that later. Um, another question here, Stephanie, when you document the best known way for the office, what format do you use? The tools used for manufacturing don't work well in the office setting, or at least that's what the questioner is is saying, do you agree with that statement about the tools um, for manufacturing not applying well, or what tools do you use, formats for documentation? Um, I'm not sure which um, which documents, I guess, for they're, they're referring to for manufacturing. Like, maybe um, for standard the work, or maybe the, okay. the, the person asked the question can follow up on that. Yeah, so um, a couple of things that it's kind of hard to describe, I would say, at this Q&A, but for uh, for taking Visio, so that last map that I showed um, on the screen with the colors, um, there's a pretty slick way that you can convert your Visio document into a Word document. And so <clears throat> whenever I do an event, I'll, I will provide the team with the Visio, the Visio map, the visual part of it as well as the Word document that is more of a step-by-step SOP um, written version of it. And that version always has a lot more information. You can add links to other, you know, other documents that people might want to reference. Um, there's all sorts of, you know, I guess more detail that you can add to that. Um, but that's assuming that a person's going to sit and read the <laughs> This, this SOP or this document. Right. And some might, you know, they might do that. But I would say if it's if it's really that um, important for people to follow that specific uh, step-by-step, then a lot of the manufacturing tools do work. You know, you do want to have visuals that are just quick, you know, quick hits. You can look at it really easily and, and get a sense of what you're supposed to be doing. Um, and so I wouldn't, I wouldn't suggest abandoning that for sure. And, and I think beyond um, a document, I mean, I think a methodology like training within industry mm-hmm. is something that has origins in uh, manufacturing, but is really applicable in all sorts of other settings. And, and the person who asked that question did follow up, Stephanie, that, yeah, they were, they were asking about documenting standard work. Okay. So um, thank Great. you for that clarification. Now, we have a question here about um, the agile methodology. Can that be applied in manufacturing, uh, in the office? Um, if so, do you find that cutting out a lot of waste? Do you have any experience with that, Stephanie? Yeah, I just got my scaled agile, agile certification um, a couple months ago, I think. And but I would also say I'm really new to it. Um, and so I'm trying. I've been I've been actually looking for people to help with the understanding of it because I think at the front end of it, um, gathering customer gathering customer information. Um, that's where that's where I really see an application for lean continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. Um, really getting an understanding of what people are doing today and where are the gaps, and and that helps to build what they need to do. Um, the way I've been using Agile has been a lot more on the delivery side of it. So you know, getting that quick and iterative delivery out to people, um, and so that 
I think they can marry nicely together. Um, but I am learning more about that and it's, it's an area of curiosity for me for sure. Okay. Thanks. Mm -hmm. Um, you mentioned the idea of, um, emotional safety. Do you have any tips for how to help people feel more safe in that way? Uh, a lot of, so virtual tools are actually really helpful for me. Um, I'm finding that it's a little bit easier in a virtual setting than it has been um, in person. So, you know, I, with iWilling Consortium, we use idea boards a lot. And that allows people to, you know, anonymously, if they want to, post ideas, and then they can vote anonymously. And so... Um, just getting getting their idea out there in the first place is really important. Um, but whenever I do in-person events, I also start by always having like little sticky notes in front of everyone. And then I ask them to write down each idea on a different sticky note. And people who are less um, comfortable speaking out are still can be more inclined to write down what they're thinking. Um, and then and then when we go back over it, we talk about it more as a team versus pointing out that one individual person. Yeah. And yeah, post-it notes. Yeah, um, yeah you're right. People, in my experience, uh, some people are more comfortable verbalizing things than others. Post-it notes mm -hmm. are great. Um, even a tool, this is going to start sounding like an ad for this menti.com. It's mm -hmm. not perfect. We've used it, but that could oh, yeah. be used with a group of people mm -hmm. who were, let's say, sitting in the same room to get right. feedback or ideas. Right. And um, that... Um, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Mark. No, sorry. Um, that that six M, um, I, I didn't really spend a lot of time on it, just because I think we were, you know, trying to trying to keep our time. Um, but essentially, when we do the six M, root cause, you know, learning about that, I ask everyone to initially write one um, idea for every M. So, you know, human materials, method, whatever. Um, so they start off by putting one up there, and then they they all do that quietly and then they'll share what theirs is or I will read it for other people. But then um, we do kind of do more like why exercises or, you know, cause I'll say what is a factor that was involved in it rather than saying why. And then I'll say, why did that factor happen? And then it's less um, emotional. It's less personal. And it's more about that sticky on the wall. And then it becomes more engaging and, and the team will open up that way. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of this comes back to culture and this is the risk of trying to copy and paste ideas from Toyota. If you have a culture where it's well-established that individuals are not being blamed, you can use words like problem, defect. You can ask why, and it's well understood that that's, um, you know, uh, it's, uh, it's inquisitory, but it's not an inquisition right. aimed at the individual. When we're starting to do these things in organizations that do not have that culture, yeah, I've seen that, you know, research that says the word why does trigger defensiveness. I find it happening. Mm -hmm. You know, a phrase like what allowed that to occur yeah. might be a little bit less loaded. But again, if, you know, if there's really um, not a lot of trust, you know, even then that might be upsetting. So we all have to kind of read the room and know the organization a little bit. Yeah. I, yeah. I might say what factors do you think might have led to that? Yeah, that's a great way of saying mm -hmm. it too. Um, so one other question here. Um as a new Kinexus customer, I was wondering how you're using Kinexus in your practice. And if so, have you identified any challenges when using it in an office versus a manufacturing setting? Did you write that question, Mark? No, it came from Rich. <laughs> it's a real person. Hi, Rich. Thank you for being a customer. 
I was using I was using Kinexus at the last uh, company where I worked, and we used it in manufacturing and in the office setting. Um, for in the office setting, we had uh, I think I think the kiosk is kind of a newer um, a newer offering by Kinexus, mm-hmm. and so we had it just really basic for people in manufacturing that they could you know walk up to kiosk or their laptop or whatever. And it would, it would, there would only be one option, which was, you know, I have an idea or I have an improvement or something. Um, and, and that was kind of it. It was really, really basic. Um, in the office setting, we used it for project management. Um, we used it for ideas. We used it for everything. And so, um, I, I don't really have a standard answer to that. I would just say that, um, so I would say props to the team at Kinexus because I felt like the sky was the limit and you could hop on a call with anyone from there um, at any time. And, and very quickly, they were trying to resolve any, any challenge that you might be facing. So they're very successful with doing that. So yeah, I think it was great. Right. Well, <laughs> thank you for uh, addressing that. And thank you for um, the question. So uh, we'll go ahead and wrap up here. Um, I want to thank Stephanie Hill from Lightbulb Moment consulting for um, sharing with us today um, these ideas that, um, you know, go to show things are um, transferable. And, ad- and you know, I've, I've heard people use the phrase, you know, we, we can adopt, but we also need to adapt. And I yeah, think you gave great. us some really great perspectives around that today. So again, um, everyone will get an email tomorrow, um, the recording, the slides, you can find it on our YouTube channel. Please subscribe there. You can find it in our podcast feed if you want to listen. And we certainly encourage you, please do share this with colleagues. Um, we, we're, we're happy to make this available for everybody. So thanks to everybody who attended and, and Stephanie, especially to you. Thank you. Thank you so much for doing this today. Yeah, definitely. Thank you, Mark.